I'm going to read again uh, from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. And uh, keep in mind that this context in which we read of the fruit of the Spirit is a, is a warfare context. It's not something that happens without thought or without effort on our part uh, to soak up by the means of the grace, the soak up the ministry of the Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the Word of God. As I read this yet again this morning, and in particular the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, I am struck with such beauty. In our relationship towards God, there is growing love, there is joy, there is peace. In our relationships with one another, we are growing in patience and kindness. And goodness. And even within ourselves, we see hints of change. We are becoming more faithful, um, more um, gentle, and self controlled. Until somebody crosses us, until somebody does something we don't like. And then what wells up within us in a flash, all kinds of ugly, ugly thoughts, words, and actions. My goal this morning is amazingly high. And that is that each of us would come to understand and practice more thoroughly what the Puritans would call entertaining the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being sensitive to the Spirit. And I want to lay out before you what I hope will be a realistic path, an attainable path, in which you may be able to continue in steady progress 
towards these glorious fruits of the Spirit. My desire is not that is that you would not be undone by the failure you face in your life. But you would realize, first of all, that the Spirit is there to help you, especially when you're weak. He is kind to the brokenhearted. And when you're, when you're doing well, that you would not be puffed up, compare yourselves to mere mortals around you, and elevate yourself, but you would thank God that you have the Holy Spirit and, and He is at work in you. Pray to know Christ more deeply so that the Spirit's fruit would grow in you. Pray to know Christ more deeply that the Spirit's fruit would grow in you. First of all, then, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit uh, is, is by, by faith. This fruit of the Spirit uh, is by faith. A couple of things you need to understand, you need to remember, always remember, that, that faith brings you internal conflict. Faith introduces you as you are united with Jesus to a dynamic of conflict, you are, are growing in the Holy Spirit, but you also must be willing to fight for it. You live in the new realm of the Spirit. Uh, you're under the Spirit's rule. He indwells you. He gives you godly desires. He, is cha- he has changed and is changing your heart. But there also is this conflict with the desires of the flesh, as Paul calls them here. And I think appropriately called over-desires. Things that you want too much. Things that you desire too much that you then put in front of your love and delight in God. Things in which you indulge yourself. One of the great encouragements, which I stress again, even as I read verse 17, as the flesh will keep you from doing the things you really do want to do. Settle on that. Sit on that and enjoy that. The self-indulgent you is not the real you. That's not what you truly want. There is a battle. But secondly, Jesus brings you everything you need by faith. Jesus brings you everything you need by faith. There are, are three ways in which this idea of being crucified uh, in the Bible is, is referred to. First of all, you are crucified with Christ. You are crucified in Christ. His death, His resurrection, His ascension, in particular, His crucifixion. You were there. You were in Him. You died on the cross. And you were raised to new life through Him. The old you is dead and sin is no longer your master. That is the reality if you are a a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, when we are converted, as as, um, Paul mentions here in this passage, you, you you are the one who do the crucifying. Another way in which you are crucified, you are doing the crucifying in your repentance. You crucified your old desires, your old preferences, your old indulgences, and say, no, I'm going in a new direction. But we know all too well that there is required a third crucifixion, and that is that in this life, that crucified person tries to peel himself off the cross and get in all kinds of trouble. 
And so there's an ongoing sense in which we crucify our old, our sin natures that remain along with their passions and desires in ongoing repentance. Now, two things, two things you do in your repentance. Um, you do repent of the particular works of the flesh. That is what you do against God. You repent of those things which you do. But there is another thing that you must repent of, and without this you're not going to get very far, and that is all you also repent of what you failed to do. You acknowledge what you failed to do, and what you failed to do was lift up empty hands to Christ and say, I need help! Rescue me down here! I can't do this on my own! That's the deeper problem, what one writer calls possessing your possessions. Possessing your possessions, owning Christ, having Christ. I want to make an illustration of this, uh, comparing and contrasting justification and sanctification. They are both by faith. They are both by faith. In in justification, we hear the declaration from the cross, it is finished, the debt is paid, my sins for them, and I give them my righteousness. All of that occurs in justification. We acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves. In sanctification, there is something similar, not identical, but similar, and that is, I can't do this life on my own. I can't do this Christ following on my own, out of my own strength. Now, in justification, we grab a hold of promises by faith. And we believe that we uh, have been forgiven once and for all. The similar thing happens in sanctification. We also cling to promises by faith. I am dead to sin, but I am also alive to Christ. That's who I am. Of course, the great difference is that in justification, uh, the, the, the problem of, of guilt is being taken care of, or is taken care of, once for all. The challenge in sanctification is that there is a lifetime of change that is a fight, that is a battle. So the fruit of the Spirit is by faith, but it is still a battle. And I want you to think about it this way. Jesus, of all men, was most filled with the Spirit. We'll put it in present tense. Jesus, of all men, is the most full of the Spirit. Um, And secondly, His Holy Spirit fruit is for you. No one filled with the Spirit more than Jesus. And yet his fruit is not selfishly clutched, but given to us who ask. Listen to this. Jesus loves, John 13, he loved his own and demonstrated it by washing their feet. And then he would show them the full extent of his love and it points to the cross. Jesus loves you and your dirty feet. Jesus is the one who is full of joy 
My joy will be in you, he said, and your joy will then be full. He has an inexhaustible supply of joy to share with his children, his people, his, his, his spouse. He has peace. He says, my peace I, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He brings us into an objective, peaceful relationship with God. Sins are removed. We're back in the presence of the Lord. But then also that peace refers to that subjective, that sense of peace that we have. Jesus says, it's mine. I'll give it to you. It's all yours now, people. We think of Jesus as being the most patient of all people. He saved... He saved... The worst sinner, Paul identifies himself as that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He saved the, the, the worst sinner. And the reason, one of the reasons he did that was so that his great patience could be displayed. It would show his perfect patience and that would become then an example for you and me. Do you, do you get where we're going with this? Every problem, challenge, weakness that you have is... is is answered in the present reigning King, the Lord Jesus Christ. He he saw sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. He he is a kind master. Uh, Titus says that, that, uh, that, um, that in the goodness and loving kindness, God appeared. And that was Jesus. In Jesus the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared and he saved us, not because of our righteousness, Paul says in Titus, but for his own. That is an amazingly good, kind Savior. He is faithful. He alone. He, is, he alone is the husband who washes his bride with the word every day. As we open our scriptures and we, 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 we read and, and we meditate on, those, on the goodness of God, He is washing us. He is cleansing us. Every week when we come here, it is, God, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who speaks to us. He's cleansing us even as we come here. Why would we ever want to be anywhere else? We see the gentleness of Jesus. Only one place in the Bible where Jesus actually explains what's in his heart. Only He self-describes only in Matthew chapter 11. You want to know what Jesus is like? He is gentle and lowly. He is drawn to the humble and the broken down. He is gentle and lowly. And he always exerts self-control. He always does that which the Father commanded him to, to do and to say in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Irenaeus had this interesting phrase. Uh, one of the church fathers was that he, he said that Jesus lived at every stage of human development in order to sanctify or to save people at every stage of life. He came as a baby to sanctify, to save babies. He grew up into a young boy so he could sanctify and save young boys. And he grew up into adults to sanctify, to save adults. That's kind of clever, I think. There's something to that. 
I'd like to put a little bit of a twist on it, though, and say as we've gone through the fruit of the Spirit here, and we've seen how that fruit is fulfilled and manifest most clearly in Jesus, there is not a circumstance of life that you go through. There is not an occasion that you go through. There is not a challenge that you go through that is not met satisfactorily by Jesus in this ninefold fruit of the Spirit. You will always have a Christ to come to you and rescue you no matter where you are, no matter what you are doing. Now, are we supposed to just sit here and get zapped? Wouldn't that be kind of cool, wouldn't it? We don't have to do anything, just zap me with this great grace and this change in the whole of, the, of, the, of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, of course, we know it doesn't work that way. The Lord has given us what we call means of grace. What is a means? What is what the means of grace are channels that the Spirit uses to fasten us more tightly to the vine and so receive the nutrients of Jesus. That's the means of grace. Hearing God's word, receiving the sacraments, prayer, being in God's word. These are the channels through which the Spirit Spirit uses to fasten us more tightly to the vine so that we receive the nutrients of Jesus and the gift of Sabbath. Are you growing in your love of Sabbath? Kids, there's stuff you don't have to do, like homework. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go to work if the Lord enables you to be in such a position that doesn't require that health provision, um, police uh, positions, and so forth. But what a blessing this is, is that we come here and we hear Jesus speaking to us. Now, moving on then, the fruit of the Spirit. Four things about the fruit of the Spirit. First of all, the fruit of the Spirit, it can be described as some. It is gradual. It is, it is gradual. You, you must be patient Change happens slowly. Inner change, the growing of this fruit, takes time. Sometimes we think of sanctification kind of mechanically. Well, I'll stop doing this because I know that's wrong, and I'll start doing this because I know that's right, and, and think that we've perhaps had some substantial change. Possibly we have not had any change at all. And we, that may not have anything to do with the, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice here that the fruit is not a list of demands. It is not a list of commands. Nothing is commanded in verses 21 and 22. Many other places in Scripture command to love and to to be joyful and to practice peace and all of those things. But here it is simply a description. It is simply a description of what the person looks like in whom the Spirit dwells. You are, he, the, Paul is describing here what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. There, and this is a gradual, it's a gradual process. You're not aware of changes. Frequently it happens for me as I've gotten to be this ripe old age. I look back and I'm in a circumstance that is challenging, that is difficult, and I will actually reflect on the fact, you know what? Ten or fifteen years ago I wouldn't have reacted this way. I, I would have spoken up in an inappropriate way. I would have acted out in an inappropriate way. 
But, but fruit is, is, is something more that is, that is observed as we, as we are feeding upon Jesus. Do you see changes in yourself? Do you, do you see that? Do you in your, in your family and in your circle of close friends talk about it? Do you say to your friends, you know what, I see the Spirit at work in you. That would go a long ways to encouraging one another. It is gradual. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is also inevitable. Inevitable. That means it, it has to take place. Growth is certain. If you are a Christian, if you are plugged into Jesus, you will bear fruit. If you do not bear fruit, you will be cut off. Jesus says that in John 15. It couldn't be any clearer. Plugged into me, you bear fruit. Separated from me, you do not, and you're cut away. I, one, that's one of the things I loved about Tom. The fruit of kindness. Um, he had a day where he would do shopping and then he would just, just drop food and stuff off at friends' houses. He wasn't loaded financially, but he found a way to do that. Frequently, I would stop there at the end of the, at the, in the late in the afternoon before heading home for dinner. <laughs> Amazing, I didn't pick this up. But every time I did that, he wanted to serve me dinner. And I said, that's kind of not appropriate for me to eat here and then just stare at my wife's cooking in about 45 minutes. That's not the way we really want to do things. He couldn't help it, though. It's fruit. It, it, it is inevitable. If the Spirit lives in you, He will change you and you will bear much fruit. It is not that you are saved by your growing fruit, but you are saved but it is not that you are saved by your growing fruit, but you are not saved without it. Thirdly, it is eternal. The fruit grows from the inside out, not the outside in. If you want an apple tree that, that has nice, heavily laden branches with apples, you don't go up to it and staple apples to the tree branches and then come back three weeks later and expect to have an even more bountiful harvest. It will stink. It will not be good fruit. Uh, you do not settle. Um, you do not settle for outward appearances without love. You just don't settle for outward appearance without love. Love fulfills the law. Outward obedience does not fulfill love. Francis Schaeffer was really big on this. He said that, he said that uh, you have to see this as a starting point, that God wants to work in deep down areas of life that you even want to hide from yourself. That's where the Spirit wants to work. And in this glorious, gradual, and inevitable process, you are becoming what you are designed to be. Uh, you, are com- you are the person that you want to be as well. Thirdly, or fourthly, it is, it is a balanced fruit. What we mean by that is that you don't just get one of these and then the other eight you don't have, or you don't get four of these and the other five you don't have. It doesn't work that way. They're all, they're, they're, they're balanced, they're, they're, they're together. They're one crop of fruit. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, um, Paul speaks of faith, hope, and love, and he says, but the greatest of these is love. Do you remember that? Here in the fruit of the Spirit, you could say, this is the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine of them, but the greatest of these also is love. It's love here too. This is, this is how it works. 
If you are growing in joy, it is because it is an outcome of greater love for God and trust in him. If you are growing in peace, it is an, it is an outcome of greater confidence in your good and wise Heavenly Father. And so forth right down the line. Of course, gentleness grows when you love another person. In Your love is growing in knowledge and depth of insight, which we spoke about last Sunday night. They're balanced. You'll see them all working together. I want you to get out your sheet in your bulletin that says Fruit of the Spirit, and you'll see that the nine fruit are listed there. And in each case, they are defined... Uh, and, they, and then there is an opposite, and then there is a counterfeit. Do you understand what? They're, they're, the fruit is defined, and, and then it's saying, and it's not this. It's the, it's the opposite of this. But you have to be careful for counterfeits, which you can sort of, you can sort of gen, self-generate and think you're actually producing the fruit. I want you to have that in mind as we consider thirdly here, making the fruit of the Spirit personal. We want to encounter Jesus, the source of, of all the fruit we need. We want to encounter Jesus, who is himself, through the power of the Spirit, the source of every bit of this fruit that we need. The first thing is to encounter Jesus, encounter Jesus, the source of this fruit. The Spirit of the Lord uh, will rest upon him, um, the prophet Isaiah said. He is the Spirit-filled man, who gives, John 3 says, who gives the Spirit without measure. He is full of the Spirit, and he gives the Spirit without measure. It can't get any better than that. He takes your poverty and the Holy and the fruit of the Spirit in him is for you. Remember, having loved his own, he loves you to the end. Why does he even speak to you? Why was the Bible written? It was written that your joy may be in him and your joy may be full. And so you want you come in your weakness and you say, Lord Jesus, I need I need this fruit that only you can provide. I'm coming to you for help. And you go down this list and you say, These are not these are not commands here for you. They are descriptions, first of all, of Jesus, and you're coming to him and asking for help. You encounter Jesus, the source of all you need uh, for the fruit that you need. The, the second thing is to identify your battle. Identify your battle. Let's choose self-control just as an example here. Identify your battle. What is self-control? It is choosing the good and right and important thing out of a desire to please God. And thank God there's a practice of obedience, a practice of obedience that comes out of it. Choosing the right thing, the important thing, the thing out of a desire to please God. Well, what is the, what is the opposite of it? Now, this is going to get a little bit, going to get a little bit nosy right here, okay? But the opposite of that uh, is, is, is you are impulsive or lazy or you have an uncontrolled spirit. Now, one thing that, that we've noticed through the years is that nobody has a life that is perfectly under control in every area. Nobody does. And a lot of times, if people look competent and self-controlled in this area, there is a hidden area over here that is really messy. So the question is, where are your messes today? 
Where are you showing impulsiveness or laziness or an uncontrolled spirit? Where are you self-indulgent? And thirdly, what are your works of the flesh because of that indulgence? What are your works of the flesh in light of that indulgence? In the area of sexuality, perhaps there are thoughts that you indulge. Perhaps there's websites that you visit. Other things that might be there as well. Sexuality, the area of religious or spiritual. Remember, these are the four areas of the works of the flesh we looked at in, in earlier in, in this chapter. The religious or the spiritual things. Maybe you appear spiritual without being so. Is it important? Do you look spiritual? But your heart rages in selfishness. Interpersonal things. The third, the third area. Just look at, look at Bernard's prayer again. Along with the, along with the, the works of the flesh here. Where, where do you see um, something out of control? That is hurting people and not glorifying to God. Appetites. A friend of mine, a friend of mine years ago, um, we were at a Lord's Supper service at my old church and we would sometimes have periods of just, uh, just general confession of sin at, at, during, that, during that service. And she stood up and she confessed her sin. And this is what she said. I've got two, I've got, I've got two problems in my life. Well, isn't that great to be able to narrow it down quite that sharply? What I put in my mouth? And what comes out of my mouth? <laughs> it's great to know that kind of thing. I say, okay, Lord, help deal with me here in these areas, my appetites. The fourth thing is then confess two sins. One is the obvious sin, the obvious work of the flesh, work of the flesh. Whether it's that tenth cookie or that lustful look or that unguarded tongue, that what violation of love and self-absorption are you confessing? That's the, that's the sin you're confessing. And then people, as you're, as you're working, as you're doing this battle with the Lord, the other sin you have to reckon with as well. You have to confess the sin beneath the sin. And that is a tendency that you have for Christless living. Living without conscious dependence upon the Lord Jesus. And a failure to lift up your arms and say, help. Confess the sin, the public thing, the things people see. But then also confess a, a, a bent towards self-dependence. Uh, and then fifthly, end here. Every single day, end here. Make it your regular practice to say something to this effect, Jesus, I am yours and you are mine. I am in you, you are in me. I have your mercy, your forgiveness. I am co-resurrected with you. I am not a, a, a victim to sin patterns. I'm not. I have been raised I am now a dead, alive person. I am dead to sin, but I am alive to righteousness. Every day, you remember that. You, you set yourself up for the time that you will be tempted. And you will want to fold. But Jesus will remind you through these words, No, I am with you, and I am for you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would help us in real time in the real issues of our lives. 
to be those who soak up Word and Spirit and display a beautiful fruit. We can't do it, but we know that Jesus can. And even now, as we prepare to take the supper, we pray that you would enable us to meet him in a beautiful way, to be encouraged. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.